0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Busting Brackets podcast. I'm Cotter Hope here with my co-host, Brian Ralph, and we are joined by Busting Brackets co-expert Tristan Freeman. And you guys are lucky enough to listen to the most exciting episode of the Busting Brackets podcast, where we get to go over everything that's happening out on the best coast in America. We get to talk about the Pac-12, the Mountain West, the WCC, the WAC, the Big Sky, and the Big West, all in about 45 minutes for you guys. So let's just jump right into it. Let's first talk about the last week in college basketball. There were some pretty big games. Tristan, what games stood out to you this past week?
1: Oh, I mean, the ACC had pretty much all the top teams playing each other. You had UNC making some big statements, Duke you know, hanging on without Zion Williamson and Syracuse dealing with everything off the court and still looking pretty respectable. So I thought the ACC took center stage and made some pretty good statements about how, which teams are Final Four contenders and which who can possibly make a run of their own.
2: I think Texas Tech made a big statement that they're the best team in the Big 12, capable of probably going the furthest in the NCAA tournament with that Just butt whooping they gave Kansas and Lubbock. I thought LSU made another statement beating Tennessee without Tremont Waters. Obviously there's some questions about LSU moving forward with Will Wade and his subpoena being part of the FBI investigation. That'll be interesting moving forward. And of course, Kentucky beating the crap out of Auburn showing everybody that they're right up there with Duke among the national title favorites. I think those were the three big winners for me along with Duke, as Trisha mentioned, going up and beating a good Syracuse team Without Zion Williamson,
0: yeah. For me, one of the biggest things that stood out was that Villanova has has kind of fallen off okay. more so than you know anyone could have reasonably predicted. Um, I think that it now makes Marquette clearly uh, far and beyond the best team in the Big East. Uh, another thing is is I know for two two to three weeks it was a little bit rocky, but uh, Michigan State is now looking like it is, once again, one of the top two teams in the Big Ten pretty easily. And uh, other than that, I mean, just the the kind of huge fall-off for uh, Louisville um, just continues. That that Duke game really, really got to the Cardinals, and mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be tough for them to turn it around before March.
2: One thing I want to talk to you guys about was Michigan, and Michigan State lost. Michigan has quietly been – really struggled over the past month and a half. Most of their losses have come in that time frame. Their offense has been very mediocre and really below average, for what you usually expect from a John B line team. Do you think Michigan can turn it around and become the team that we all thought they were in November and December when they looked like the best team in the country?
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, Michigan always has spurts uh, where their offense just isn't up to par. Um, but it's John Beeline. He's going to have his team ready for the big dance. Um, they wouldn't necessarily be a team that I would pick to make the final four uh, just because I'm not sure that they can play high-level offense for six games in a row. Right, right. But, uh, I mean, John Beeline is one of, if not the best coaches to coach March. Um, right. You know his regular seasons might not be that spectacular, but he always has his team ready for both the Big Ten and the NCAA tournaments.
2: Tristan, I don't know if you have any thoughts on Michigan or if there's another team kind of top of the polls that you're a little bit concerned about.
1: Well, uh, look at Michigan; they're going to be carried by their defense. If their defense doesn't hold their own, you know they're like Virginia in a way. If they give up a lot of points in one game, they can be gone. Last three losses, you know, they've given up 77, 65, 74. And their offense just isn't good enough to carry them. You know, their top two scorers are underclassmen, and Charles Matthews is a very talented player, but he's going to give you 14 to 15, and that's pretty much it. So they're still going to be a dangerous out in the tournament because I think they're going to clamp up on whoever they play, but they have to be careful because if a team can get to 75-plus, The Michigan's going to be in real danger. And I'll say this about Louisville and Villanova. I think those two teams are sort of coming back to earth from what we thought they would be. Uh, You know, Villanova is not as bad as they looked in the non-conference, but they weren't as good as their 10-0 start in Big East play. They're sort of in the middle of that. So I think, you know, for them and then Louisville, who surpassed all expectations, sort of coming back to, you know, now they're playing – tougher competition so as far as those two teams go they sort of are who they are but Michigan's a team that I would still not want to see in my bracket still have a lot of respect for what John Beeline does and they're a talented team with uh, Simpson and Poole continuing to grow and I still like them but maybe not to the level I would Virginia well let's
2: go ahead and move out to the west coast get started on our west coast conversation we got a lot I am of ready on I don't think the Pac-12 is ready. The Pac-12 hasn't been ready all year. It's pretty much just Washington at this point now. Washington's already claimed at least a share of the conference title with two weeks left to play. Does anybody else in that conference, Connor,
0: have a chance? Um, So I think the Pac-12 is definitely one of those conferences where you're going to, as a – even as a bubble team, I think it's one of those those conferences where it's becoming more of a bid steal potential as opposed to a conference that can truly get uh, two to three bids in the NCAA tournament. Um, if you're up for you know some suspense, some tight games, you're going to want Washington to lose and you're going to want them to lose early. I think that the deeper they make it into the Uh, Pac-12 tournament and the more fatigued that other teams get that 2-3 zone defense is just gonna wear teams down on offense so I think it's Washington's to lose um, and if they were gonna lose I would expect them to lose earlier rather than later in that tournament
2: well Tristan is Washington the kind of team that maybe for a bubble team like an Arizona State uh, some other ones that are that are in the Pac-12 are they the type of team that a win over them can put a team from the wrong side to the right side of the bubble? Or
1: would that team have to win the conference tournament? Boy, I mean, the problem that Washington has is that they're not that highest seat themselves right now. Right. They're around seven or eight themselves because the Pac-12 has weighed them down. So is that the kind of win that can push you up? It's better than what others can do. But it, it, I think maybe Arizona State, can get the win over Washington, although there is a possibility those two might meet up in the finals. Everyone else, I really only think Arizona State's on the bubble in the Pac-12. Everyone else, you just have to win, or it's NIT or worse.
2: Well, I guess, if let's just for the sake of argument, say it's not Washington. Let's say Washington loses early on, as Connor suggested, or some other time. Tristan, who do you think would be has the best
1: chance of those teams, other than Washington, of winning the conference tournament? You know, I, I like Oregon State. I think uh, if you, I think there's a separation between Washington by themselves, and then Oregon State and Arizona State as actual good teams in the Pac-12. That's just had to deal with everyone else weighing them down. I think those two teams are NCAA tournament caliber, but don't have the resumes. And I think you know with Trace Tinkle, who's one of the best players, no one's talking about. And a pretty and a really uh, great big man in Kelly, who's one of the nation's leaders in blocks. I think Oregon State has a real good shot of, of making a run in a tournament getting a bid. Connor, what do you think? Who would you
2: maybe put a little bit of money on outside of Washington?
0: Um I would have to agree that the the team that I would look at as having the best chance of winning the pac twelve conference tournament behind Washington would probably be Oregon State. If we're looking deeper down and you want, Kind of to flip your money and make big money. Colorado is a team that I think could uh, do some damage in the Pac-12 tournament. Their defense is solid. They play at a relatively slow pace, um, you know. And their what weighs them down is their consistency on offense. But anytime you have McKinley Wright running the show, uh, you have the potential to score big. So I would look at if if you're looking for for a safe bet that's not Washington, it would probably be Oregon State. But if you're looking at one of those surprise teams to kind of come out of nowhere I'm looking at Colorado
2: I think it's interesting that both you guys neither of you said Arizona State who's number two and is the only other Pac-12 team with really an outside shot at getting in that large bid what do you make Connor of maybe the past two years of Arizona State because now it's two years where they've looked really good in the non-conference and gotten into Pac-12 play and absolutely fallen apart
0: Yeah, I mean, they're still second in the Pac-12, so they're still playing relatively well. My issue with Arizona State is I do think that that team loses early. They play down to their opponents or up to their opponents, depending on who they're playing. So they're going to make themselves very vulnerable for a first or second round upset. Um, I do believe that.
1: Tristan, what do you think? You know, I think they've relied so much on uh, their freshman against Dort so much that you know when he has his own freshman struggles they don't seem to be able to carry it you know him Remy Martin and Rob Edwards are sort of their consistent scores with Zion treat Treatum being their primary front court option so I think they're actually a good team they're 10 and 5 in the Pac-12 which in most years is pretty respectable but it, it's just not good enough to cover it this year and I think the problem for the Pac-12 overall is these aren't all bad teams. I mean, Oregon still has talent. UCLA, USC still has talent, but they were so collectively bad in a non-conference where there's no respect for them now. So if, Oregon, so if Arizona State loses to Oregon or USC, it's considered an awful loss when, you know, normally it's there's nothing shameful about it. So I actually think Arizona State's like I said, pretty good team in NCAA tournament caliber, but when you can't get a single good win after January, that's what happens.
0: Yeah, yeah and think, they turn the ball over a ton, and they foul mm-hmm. a ton. So they give other teams plenty of and opportunities to beat them.
2: And they yeah. can't shoot.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And now that, that inconsistency it leads to these problems. where you're, you're losing to Washington State. You're losing to Colorado. You're losing all these games against teams that have lesser talent than you do. Shifting gears, I think Gonzaga is probably the opposite of that in terms of consistency. They've been a dominant force really as soon as they get into West Coast Conference play. Clearly they have a talent advantage over everybody else, but they're playing to that talent advantage and are just wiping the floor with everybody, despite there being some other good teams in the West Coast Conference. Connor, I know this is your area of expertise. Just how good is Gonzaga?
0: I- I think people are wrong on both ends of the spectrum with Gonzaga. Um, I think that Gonzaga is excellent. I don't necessarily think they're the best team in the country. I I don't personally have them number one in the country. I still think that Duke and Virginia are clearly better teams than Gonzaga, um, just by the way they've played throughout the season. Uh, Kentucky, UNC, Gonzaga are all in that same category right behind those two. Um, so I would have them there. Uh, they're a deep team. Um, they probably you probably can't count on tilly coming back so if you're expecting if your mentality going in is gonzaga is going to be an elite team or going to be the top team once tilly comes back you might be a little bit disappointed um because they say that he's just done for the regular season but there's been no movement in terms of him definitely being back for march but behind him they they can play two at pretty much every position uh, Gino Crandall has really come on offensively, which was one of the biggest holes. Once they have Crandall on the floor instead of Perkins, they really lose that offensive point. But he's been play, playing pretty well. Uh, Hachimura and Clark are as good a front court as anybody has in the country. Uh, Zach Norvell, he's the X factor. If Zach Norvell's hitting his threes consistently, I think, I think, in, I think, I think Gonzaga you know, can make the final four possibly challenge for the national title. But if Zach Norvell has even one game where he's off on his threes, I think Gonzaga is primed for an exit.
2: Norvell is one of my favorite players in the country. I just love the way he plays. He gets his shot off real quick and just that lefty
0: stroke. Yeah. I mean, he's a baller. He's a Chicago baller. <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> I I agree. I think there, I, I wrote over the weekend that there's only five teams that I think can win the national championship. It's that Duke, Kentucky, Virginia, UNC, and Gonzaga's in that mix. I think it's Duke at one, Kentucky maybe at two, and then Gonzaga, UNC, um, and Virginia at three A, three B, three C. Tristan, do you think Gonzaga has the potential to win the national championship
1: this year? Oh, oh, absolutely. I, I think, you know, I would sort of disagree with Connor a little bit about Duke and Virginia being clearly ahead because Duke's three-point shooting is an issue. And the one thing about Gonzaga that I actually love is they don't have to hit 10 threes to win a game. They're one of the top teams in the country when it comes to shooting under the arc. And with Clark and Hachimore, who doesn't even prefer to shoot threes, dominating inside like that, Gonzaga doesn't have to have their best offensive game to win. And and that's a – because especially when you have six games to win it all – There's going to be off games, and Gonzaga has shown time and time again they can win with their off games. They just have to continue to improve defensively, and I would say guys like Corey Kispert and Zach Norvell have to just continue to have an impact. Don't disappear from games or rely on Perkins from the perimeter or the big men, and I think they'll be fine. I mean, I would love to see them play a team like Michigan or Virginia, and to see how good their offense really is. So they certainly can win it all. They've shown nothing in conference play that they can't do it. And even the little you know adversity they've had, they've passed through a flying colors. So, And they've been the team to beat, but there are two
2: other West Coast teams, West Coast conference teams, that are vying for an at-large bidder, at least still in the mix, in San Francisco and St. Mary's. Both of them have, let's just say, lackluster resumes but in this year with the weak bubble are still in the mix a lot of people will argue for one or the other tristan i know you're a big advocate of saint mary's when it comes to them or san francisco do you think either one of them will get in and if one of them will which one has a better chance
1: boy so i first want to say when it comes to the bubble on the west coast People who have been, especially West Coast Conference fans and Mountain West fans who have clowned Pac-12 for how bad they've been, in a weird way, has come back to haunt them. Because the best wins these teams have were against Pac-12 teams. Yep. And so if the Pac-12 is weak and your best wins are against the weak Pac-12, then you're weak. So there has to be a balance for the Pac-12 to be strong overall to help buoy the other bubble teams without taking too much bids. But I think the problem that these West Coast teams have is we're assuming they can't beat Gonzaga. So what else can they do? You know, the best chance rather these teams have is just to face off in the WCC semis. And that will be a true elimination game. But um, for me, I've been impressed with St. Mary's for the simple fact that they've had injuries the whole year. They've been young, they've had to replace an All-American player in Jock Landau, and, and still you know, have been one of the top teams in the WCC, played really well against Mississippi State, played well against LSU. They could have gotten one of those wins to really help themselves, but I think they've shown themselves well of just a tiny bit more than San Francisco, in my opinion.
2: Connor, same question to you. Do you think one of those two gets in? Uh, And if so, which one is maybe the most more likely of the two?
0: I don't think either of them get in. I don't think either of them have the resume to get in. They would have to beat Gonzaga in the tournament and probably win the tournament to get in. Um, My issue with St. Mary's is November. And I know people don't like to look at the games in the first month of the year, but they just didn't play well. I mean, they played well, but they just couldn't win. And their losses, I think, are a little bit worse than San Francisco's. Um, they lost at home to UC Irvine. They lost at home to Harvard. Um, they lost uh, – I mean, the Western Kentucky loss isn't bad. The uh, Utah State loss, Mississippi State loss aren't bad. But they also lost to Pepperdine. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, San Francisco did lose to Santa Clara So San Fr- and, and at UC Santa Barbara, which at the time didn't look terrible, but it's kind of Looking gotten terrible. a little bit worse. Um, I don't think either of them get in. If I were to give one a spot, I would give it to San Francisco. But I, I know a lot of people who like St. Mary's and I don't think that they're wrong. Um, just to me, I, I'm confused as to why they're still on the bubble.
2: Here's my thing with San Francisco. We've seen them play teams that we know are really good. Like Gonzaga and Buffalo, and play them really well despite not winning those games. And even though they have those bad losses, in comparison to St. Mary's, I at least know San Francisco can play with some of these good teams. I haven't seen St. Mary's really go up toe to -to toe with these good teams. And for me, that makes a difference when comparing two teams. I agree, I don't think either of them get in, but I would have San Francisco over St. Mary's because of that. Since both of those two, I think we can generally agree are out does that mean that utah state is maybe the only other potential at large team from the west coast that's not currently leading the conference
0: yeah i think that the mountain west is definitely if the favorites win the tournament i think Mm -hmm. the mountain west is has the best shot at being a multi-bid conference out west um but that's assuming that utah state beats san diego state or, or Fresno State, depending on who finishes third mm-hmm. in the Mountain West Conference, and at least plays Nevada close. Um, but obviously, if Nevada loses, then it's a two-bid, two-bid conference. Right, but and you I can think say you, the same
2: thing with West Coast, with Gonzaga. Yeah, with any. You know, yeah.
0: But I think Utah State probably has the best shot um, of making the tournament. I think that they are the best team right now in that, on the West Coast that's not a lock to make the tournament.
2: Tristan, I know you... Like this Utah State team, particularly Sam Merrill. Who you think Gardner's some conference player of the year consideration? What do you think of him and Utah State's chances of making the tournament?
1: I mean, there's a real good argument that Sam Merrill's uh, Mountain West Player of the Year. Uh, C- Cody Martin was the clear front runner, and he's played well. But I think when you look at just the overall, you know, talent around him, you know, Jordan Caroline could arguably get the award, too. I just think for Sam Merrill to hold, to keep Utah State going without Kobe McEwen, who transferred over, and really Utah State's worst loss is San Diego State and BYU, which is nothing shameful about that at all. They just don't, they just lack the signature wins. I think Sam Merrill has grown every year. He's become one of the top scorers, one of the top shooters in the country. And there's a consistency with them that's allowed Utah State to be right up there with Nevada, at the top of the standings. So, I think you can make an argument on neutral court. Utah State can beat Nevada because they can certainly outshoot them, and they have a big man in uh, Namaskita, who's one of the, who I think is going to be Bruno Fernando 2.0 next year, and become a possible first round lottery pick because he's been awesome for them. And I think, you know, as far as other teams, San Diego State has Nevada's number, and that could continue in the conference tournament. And Fresno State has quietly been great also. They just, their resume just isn't good, so they're not really a bubble team. But I could think, see Fresno State in a one-game situation win. There's four teams who, in the Mountain West, who could not only win that tournament, but I wouldn't want to see any of those other three as an 11 seed if I'm a 6 seed coming in, so... Outside of Nevada,
2: of those three other teams that you mentioned, who do you think has the best chance?
1: I still think San Diego State. I think from a talent perspective, they should be a tournament team, but they just have these lapses for some reason. I mean, if you look at Brian Dutcher's resume, he has a whole bunch of great wins so far in his first few years. He's beaten Gonzaga. He's beaten Nevada multiple times. But then you just have these games and moments where it's like they don't even bother to play. But I think when motivated, you know, Jalen McDaniels is an NBA talent. They got senior backcourt with Devin Watson. I just – they they could certainly win a couple of games. They sh- probably should have beaten Houston last year. So
2: Yeah, and then, I mean, that's a Houston team that should have beat Michigan who went all the way to the championship game. So San Diego State certainly has pedigree. I want to move down to the whack now, where another team that has made the tournament the past couple of years in Mexico State looks poised to do the same thing again. On top of the conference standings right now, favored to win the conference tournament, go to the NCAA tournament again. They've sort of run that conference for the past couple of years now, holding off a push from Grand Canyon. Connor, do you like this Mexico State team? Can they be a threat to pull an upset in the tournament?
0: Um, I like the New Mexico State team. I- I I'm hesitant to say that they are better than last year's New Mexico state team, but I think that they are good enough to beat a, uh, a team that may not, you know, may overlook them in the NCAA tournament. Um, Can I just say that I am really getting some grand Canyon fatigue. I, I think that we've hyped grand Canyon up for three to four years now, and they just haven't. I mean, Utah Valley is the second best team in that conference it's, we've hyped Grand Canyon up. Yeah, they have a, a loyal student section, but that doesn't make a good team. And I think that, you know, in the years moving forward, the best team, the best this program that's set up to be the second fiddle or the, the biggest threat to New Mexico State is Utah Valley, who rarely gets talked about. Um, other than last year where they played two tough games in the 24-hour span. No one really talks about Utah Valley, and they hype up this Grand Canyon team that really hasn't done anything to show for it.
2: Well, then who do you think might be – can Grand Canyon become that team that people want them to be? Uh, like, What what will it take for them?
0: I don't know. Um I don't necessarily think coaching is the issue, uh, although it might be. Um, I, I just think that they suffer from high expectations. Um, it's not that they're a bad program. It's not that they are not a competitive program, but – when you go into every season expecting to be that team that's constantly challenging New Mexico State, and they did in one game this year. They, they, they had a really close game at the beginning of the uh, whack season, but I think that we go in with these high expectations, and they're delivering exactly what they should be delivering. So
2: That's fair. Now, Trisha, with New Mexico State, I think UC Irvine, in the Big West, and then South Dakota State, obviously, the Summit League. They've been running that conference for a few years. Those are probably the three other teams that most people will look to as being able to potentially pull a first-round upset among those been majors from the West Coast. Of those three, do you like any of them to maybe pull a first-round upset, and which one do you think might be the most likely to do so?
1: You know, I think if Mike Dom could go for 30 or 40, You can always look at South Dakota State as possibly pulling it off, but I'm not sure they'll even make it to the tournament. They have not dominated the Summit like we all thought they would, Mm -hmm. and I think some of those other teams could push them off. I think New Mexico State has the balance. You know, they don't have a leading scorer over 11 points a game, but they have six or seven guys who can consistently score, and they're a physical team, and what New Mexico State does more so than Grand Canyon and other, you know, mid majors who are trying to be, you know, nationally relevant is they found their lane with transfers, whether it's getting a top Juco transfers or getting, you know, cast off from other programs like AJ Harris of Ohio State, they become a destination place. So they get talented guys who are high major caliber and they have them go into WAC and consistently win. And I think. If they can get a good, possibly 12, 13 seed, they have the capabilities to win. I mean, they, they almost knocked off Kansas, if I'm not mistaken. So mm-hmm. I, I would go with them. I wouldn't want to play them. But my concern is if they don't have a guy that you can count on dropping 20, that they just won't have the offense to keep up, depending on who their matchup is.
2: Yeah. I want to go back to the top of the West Coast now. see if you talked about at the beginning, Gonzaga. Nevada, Washington, I think we can agree are the three clear cut teams. Trisha, of those three, who do you have the most confidence in in terms of making a long run, potentially making a final four?
1: Uh, if I had to go in order, I'd go Gonzaga clearly, but then I'd go with Washington over Nevada. And Why is that? I think I think Washington if they seem to have clicked it when it comes to running their zone defense. And I think they have enough of the scoring balance. I think when you look at Matisse Thibault, who should probably be Pac-12 Player of the Year, from what he from his impact, mm-hmm. Jalen Noel, Noah Dickerson. I think they have the you know veteran play. They're a team that I think could make if they're if they're somehow an eight seed. Be very careful if you're a one. You don't want to play this team. This is going to be a very underseeded team. I think there are four or five based on talent. And they could probably make a run. Uh, Nevada. The concern with them is they just get themselves into bad starts all the time. And we see an NCAA tournament. You do that one time against a hot mid-major, you're you're done. So hopefully the hopefully Carolina and the Martin brothers can you know get them off the good starts because offensively they can compete with anybody in the country. Mm-hmm. I'm just concerned that they allow too many runs and that's just not going to work. Much. What's the question to
2: you? Another way. I know you like this Washington team. Um, how far do you think they can go? And of those three, which one do you think might be the most likely to get upset early?
0: Um, for me, I would think that Washington is a reasonable team that you can pick that's lower seated, but, could, and I would argue if they're not in that, if they make it to a seven seed as opposed to an eight or a nine seed, should uh, challenge for a second weekend spot. Um, I, I think that they're, because the Pac-12 is so bad, people kind of look at what Washington's done in the Pac-12 with almost a side eye. But if you look at their losses, and, and they've won some pretty solid games, but if you just look at their losses, they lost at Auburn going down to Auburn and winning is not an easy thing to do. And it'd be a tough task for a top 10 team to go to Auburn and win a game, let alone a team that's probably in that 25 to 30 range. Auburn was playing better at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Much better than they are now. and, And same thing with Minnesota. Minnesota was playing relatively well. They lost by two on a neutral floor. They went to the kennel and took Gonzaga to the final seconds of that game and lost by two. And then they lost on a neutral court to a Virginia tech team that is top 15 in the country. So it's not like they are losing to bad teams and they're competing with a decent number of those teams that they did lose to. I just think that, um, I agree with Tristan. I think that Nevada is probably the most vulnerable. Uh, they win games ugly, which, Is promising if you're looking for a team that can gut out close games, but also is a little bit concerning when you're looking at a team that's supposed to be a top 10 to 15 team that's playing New Mexico to a point or San Diego State to a point where they have to gut out wins. Right.
2: I think part of that too is the fact that they struggle shooting the ball. I mean, outside of Jazz Johnson, they have no real shooters. Jordan Carolina, I think, is their second best shooter in terms of percentage wise. And While he's improved, he's not somebody that I'm necessarily going to want to rely on, making a big three for me if I need a bucket late in a big game. Washington is carrying the the flag for the Pac-12 this year. I don't think any of us expect that to be the case moving forward where the Pac-12 is maybe a one- or two-bid league for more than just this year. So next year, of the other teams outside of Washington in the Pac-12, Connor, who do you think might have that big bounce-back year and be a top-20, top-15 team next year? um it's hard because there's a lot of potential coaching moves
0: right 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 i i think i would want to see where ucla who their coach is um uh they're the one that i'm kind of maybe looking at the closest because we don't know And, and ucla is a big school that's not in Arizona where it's caught up in this this FBI controversy. Um, so if they get a good coach and some solid recruits, who knows? Maybe they can bounce back. Uh, Utah is always going to be up there, but they're not a top 10 to 15 team. I don't know if we're going to get a top 10 to 15 team from the Pac-12 next year. But I think that if UCLA makes the right coaching hire and they can secure some of the, the late commits, uh, they can definitely return to their spot in the top two to three in that conference.
2: Yeah, I know Arizona has a good recruiting class coming in. USC has a good recruiting class coming in. Oregon's landed a couple top guys. Tristan, outside of Washington, same question. Who do you think has the best chance of kind of breaking through next year? Uh,
1: if Dort leaves, then Arizona State's out of it. And right now I just don't trust uh, UCLA or USC when it comes to their coaching situations or the fact that they just don't have a lot of good players expected to come back.
0: I mean oh. UCLA has no seniors on their team, and you can't. I mean, other than Chris Wilkes and Moses Brown, is anyone really going to leave? Um,
1: I I just don't think they're the guys who are there right now are that good. I mean, even if they come back and improve under a better coach, I just think sometimes programs like UCLA get top 100 players, but they but they're not really top 100 players. I just don't – I think to see not only how lackadaisical they are, but they just don't have the kind of skill outside of Wilkes and Hands. So I I think if, if Peyton Pritchard returns back to an all-conference player, I think Oregon has the best shot of them because I do think they have the talent even without Bull Bull, but it's it hard to see. I mean, you can make a legit argument that Colorado and Utah – could be top four teams in the PAC 12 next year. Cause they both return the majority of their talent and they've shown that they can actually win games. So
0: I have more faith in Utah than Colorado. And and I think I've been pretty vocal as to say that the ceiling for Colorado um, under Tad Boyle is probably just top half of the PAC 12. Uh, I don't think they get much past number five. <clears throat> But definitely Utah. I mean, Chris is is one of the best coaches in the country. So yeah, I agree with that.
2: What he's done with Utah this year, where they were, you know, two months ago, uh, has been, I think, one of the better coaching jobs in the country, especially on the on the West Coast. And we've touched a little bit on UCLA's head coaching vacancy and the fact that it's a big hire, both I think for the Pac-12 and for the school. Tristan, who do you think maybe they should look at? Who would be your A plus hire? That UCLA could realistically make.
1: Ooh. I mean Musselman's going to be the first coach in mind uh, with how with what he's done. But I would say, and I'm not sure, you know, this wouldn't be a sexy hire by all, but I do wonder if a Pac-12 program is going to go after Kyle Smith of San Francisco. You know, he made Columbia a contender in the Ivy League, which is as hard as making a WCC team a contender in, you know, compared to St. Mary's, BYU, and Gonzaga. And he's turned, you know, this Dawn's team into the second best team, in my opinion, in the WCC. I would like to see what he can do with, you know, real top 100 talent because he has the coaching acumen, he has the history, but I'm not sure if the UCLA fan base, which prefers big flashy hires, that would ever go for it. But he's he's really been uh, one of the top up-and-coming coaches on the West Coast. And who knows? I mean, maybe if uh, Utah State's coach, you know, he should get some consideration as well. But I think if you're UCLA, you should just go for the right hire regardless of name ID.
2: Connor, who do you think? I know they've gone after or going after big names like Tony Bennett, I don't. He's not leaving Virginia for UCLA. I don't think. Plan on going after Billy Donovan, but I don't think he's leaving the Thunder for UCLA. Realistically, who do you think would be a really good hire for them that they can actually get?
0: Honestly, I think Musselman is probably the who the person that should be their number one choice. Um, I think that giving giving him the ability to recruit to one of the top programs in the country or the historically the top programs in the country giving him a chance to enter the transfer market so that he can pick up some more talent to go to UCLA next year. And the fact that he he took a Nevada program that was you know middle of the road maybe in the Mountain West, possibly bottom of the Mountain West most seasons, and, and, and quickly turned them into a top team in the Mountain West, I think makes him the top choice. Uh, as If you're going mid-major, I don't necessarily think I would pick Kyle Smith. Um, the, the, the one mid-major coach that I really like Uh, to go to UCLA, if they were going to go that route, is Russ Turner out of UC Irvine. Um, He has been an assistant for both Wake Forest and Stanford, so he's coached at, you know, been uh, a coach in those conferences. Uh, He was an assistant for the Golden State Warriors, and he's had Consistency at UC Irvine, and I think that's what you're looking for. If you're looking for a coach for UCLA, is you don't necessarily need to be the top team every year in the Pac-12 right away, but you at least need to have consistency because that's something that Steve Alford never really had. Steve Alford was a, a coach that would take you to the Sweet 16, or you'd be a team that barely made the tournament if at all. So having a coach that can consistently coach team basketball, can coach players up, and has recruited in the LA area. It, it, it is important to me. Um, another option uh, I comically think might be a, a a a good idea. Well, not a good idea, but but an idea. Um, I've always pitched <laughs> Bill Walton. So oh, uh, God. I want I want UCLA to go the the route that Georgetown and St. John's has gone and and just pick up a uh, an alum that's never coached before and throw him uh, throw him a bone. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I think Bill Walton would be.
2: An internet, oh, we would have to have him all access all the time. <laughs> Just have the camera crew follow that team around all the time. We'll make this. We'll make, I want to go real quick, rapid fire with a couple coaches. who I think one of them's definitely in trouble. One of them might be in trouble with the FBI stuff. Connor, do you think uh Sean Miller keeps his job after this year?
0: No, and Arizona fans are going to jump all over me for this. Um. You know, they're going to say there's no evidence, there's never been evidence, it's just a witch hunt. You don't subpoena somebody unless you have a reason to subpoena somebody. And I think that even if he wasn't directly involved, if there's a reason to believe that he was even tangentially involved in all of this, Arizona can't afford to keep him around anymore. He's not a coach that's ever taken him to the final four, he's not a coach that's ever really put together a, a program that, um, I mean, he's put together a program that can compete, but you never enter the season really thinking in the past five years, Arizona is a team that is definitely going to win the national championship. And until he's done that, I mean, until unless he's a, he's not a coach K, he's not a Roy Williams. He's not a uh, Calipari. He's not even a bill self where their jobs are somewhat safe. Unless something really drastic comes out. I think Sean Miller uh, is one of those coaches that Arizona would, much rather cut ties with than have that follow their program around.
2: Tristan, same question. Does Sean Miller keep his job? Is he, is he Arizona's
1: coach next year? Yes, because of this recruiting class. I think this year, although it's gone as expected, you know, still a down year. And I think Arizona has made the decision that they're just going to write this out until they have no choice but to fire him. Maybe just hope that, you know, this – prolongs one year, see what happens when they bring Nico Mannion company company in, get a big rebound year. And if they have to fire him, you know, you can still keep their teeth going. But at this point, I mean, people's been talking about Miller in Arizona for all these years and they still haven't fired him. All they did was just make themselves financially flexible just in case they have to. So at this point, why, why not, why not keep him? Another coach in the West Coast
2: who's been involved with the FBI investigation Andy Anfield at USC. Tristan, do you think he's in trouble at all? Uh,
1: yes, because he – yes, because even though Sean hasn't delivered Arizona Final Four, he's made them nationally relevant. Anfield hasn't, hasn't brought in any results. And they, they've underachieved almost every year. And, you know, it's great that he's been able to get these recruiting classes, but what has he done with them? You know he doesn't have the same kind of cachet. There's really no point in keeping him around, and you could make your and USC can make their own flashy hire if they want to. But the problem with USC, I mean, USC, is beyond the head coach; it's the administration in general and everything going on out there. So I doubt he survives. But I think they, the whole program, needs to clean house. I I, I certainly
2: wouldn't be surprised either. I think his saving grace as well is going to be. Potentially, if there is one, is the recruit is coming in because USC has a top recruiting class that they've been looking at for two years now. Um, excited about, and he's underachieved for sure. And the FBI doesn't help things, but he also hasn't been subpoenaed, which I think USC is looking at as a you know, maybe the way to judge things now. Connor, any final thoughts on the West Coast? Anything that people should be really looking for or watching over these next couple weeks?
0: Um, just a few. Uh, Pertaining to Andy Enfield, I think his one saving grace, and it might not be the same for basketball as it is for football, but I think his one saving grace is the fact that Lynn Swan is an absolutely inept athletic director. Um, he's the one that thinks that USC's football program is in a good spot. So uh, who knows? He might think that their basketball program is great. So we'll, we'll have to figure see that what happens there. I think he does have one more year to work with the recruits, but if he doesn't deliver next year, He's probably gone. Um, Other than that, I think that the West Coast tournaments aren't necessarily going to be the most exciting in the later rounds because I think that each of those conferences, with the exception of maybe the Big West and the Big Sky, um, have clear favorites that should win. Um, Not that they can win, not that they're favored, but that they should win. If they don't win, it's probably um, because of an injury or because they just underperformed. Um, and th- the other thing I wanted to, to bring back is the fact that, uh, looking at three of these teams that we've talked about, San Diego state and Zaga and Arizona, um, they all played in what was billed as the best Maui invitational field ever. I don't think it's the best field ever. Now looking back no. hindsight's 2020, but Air, Iowa State was the third best team in that, or is the third best team that played in that field. It was San Diego State, Iowa State. Um, Gonzaga was great and Duke was great, obviously. Auburn's underperformed. Uh, Xavier has fallen off the map that this is. year. Um, Illinois is one of those teams that can be good, but they're not really that good. And then Arizona, which is also, uh, we knew they were going to underperform, but they've also underperformed. So um, that's just one thing that I will, I, Came to realize uh, a couple days ago was that Maui Invitational Tournament, which was highly anticipated, uh, those teams, for the most part, turned out to be uh, mediocre at best.
2: It was a great final game. Uh, but I think, <laughs> it, I think, as the tournament got underway, it felt inevitable that you could get Zaga, mostly because of how good you can get Zaga were, but partially because those other teams maybe weren't as good as we all thought. Tristan, any closing thoughts from you?
1: Yeah, I just you know, want to say that Gonzaga does not have a one-seat locked up, and it's really of no fault of their own. I think that as much talk as we've had about the bubble being weak, a big part of that is, has been how elite the top teams in the country have been. Bubble teams just haven't been able to get the signature wins, and what's happened is you create a logjam at the top with teams like Virginia, Duke, Tennessee, even Michigan State and Houston. And most of these teams don't even have bad losses on the resume. So people are going to make arguments that there are four teams with much better resumes overall than Gonzaga. And that could hurt the Zags down the line. I think if you're a Bulldogs fan, you should assume that Duke and Virginia have two seeds locked up. The SEC champion will probably get the third. And you have to hope that either the second-place SEC team Houston or Michigan State don't win their conference tournaments because there's a possibility one of them could jump you. And if that happens, it's going to create some very interesting brackets when it comes to the protected seed. So I think Gonzaga should start rooting for bubble teams across the country to pull off some upsets and help them solidify that one seed in the West they want.
0: That said, I think Gonzaga is going to be in the West. Um, They're either going to be the one or the two seed in the West. Mm I think that's just going to be how it works out. So I think that regardless of whether they are the one or the two seed, um, they probably will go head into the tournament the favorite to make the Final Four. Maybe not a heavy favorite, but the favorite to make the Final Four out of that region. Um, and they will be playing in Anaheim. I think that as a – if you're a that second-place SEC team or a Michigan State, you don't want to lose, uh, obviously, but – I would much rather be a two seed in say the Midwest or the South with Virginia than have to travel cross country to Anaheim to take on a, a well-rested Zags team um, in, in California.
2: Yeah. I think the biggest thing for Gonzaga, I think they'll get that one seed cause I don't think they'll lose, but the biggest thing is just going to make sure they're in that West region. And I think they're going to be there no matter what. So I think their tournament hopes are, are pretty solid. So I think they're good there. All right, well, that'll wrap up this edition of the Busting Brackets podcast. Our thanks to Tristan Freeman for joining me and Connor. Join us next week as we look ahead to the conference tournaments, break those down, look ahead to the NCAA tournament, look at some potential sleepers. It's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be a March podcast. We're finally at that time of the year. It'll be a March podcast. Make sure you guys tune in, and we'll talk to you then.